Hello, it's only me, Graham Norton. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, journalist at The Guardian, Marina Hyde, chats to me about her new book, What Just Happened. Ollie Murs is back with a new album, Marry Me, and joins me in the studio to tell us all about it. Dolly Aldergen fills us in on her new book, Dear Dolly, and discusses her column in The Sunday Times. Show chef Martha rustles up something delicious for me. We have a round of guests, the guest, and we'll be putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more. I am here, in front of you. Yes. Uh, do you want to vent about trains first before we do anything no, else? No, because I have okay. no energy. Okay. Just <laughs> suffice to say... Is your train broken? Every... Did, you, did your train <laughs> break down? My personal train that I had to buy <laughs> has been taken off the tracks. Oh, Apparently no. Apparently there's some licence I have to get oh. where I, I share people's tracks anyway. I Blah. mean, what, what? there was supposed to be no more red tape. What's this about? <laughs> no, that's why Brexit happened, so you that know, I could just run my own train. Train? You could just... Just, Without Brussels, yeah, get yeah. your butt in. <laughs> just buy an engine and off you go. <laughs> yeah. No, no further ranting from me. Um, but I did on the train, not my train, um, watch your televisual programme. I downloaded it before. I'm very modern. And then I watched it on the train. It was marvellous. That is clever of you. I've never managed to do that. You've never downloaded anything. Don't be ridiculous. I mean, not to watch on the go. No. Uh, no, I've downloaded things. I'm going to have done that. Yeah, but then you yeah. don't need the interweb. Anyway, I bore myself. Um, so uh, <laughs> what I have to say about that is how much I love Stormzy. Very good. Stormzy. I do have a lovely photograph of me and Stormzy when we were at the last place. Oh, really? Yeah. Was Stormzy on the show in the last place? Yeah. Oh, no, I think he might have been on Dermot O'Leary's show. Yeah, he must be. I never met but him But I spotted place. him and also then, you know, muscled in, got a photograph, asked him if I could do something on his next album. And then that you, hasn't materialised. And you made him hold the dog, I imagine. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, really? I, I felt there was hostility towards the dog. <laughs> you know, I'm a sensitive soul, Graham. It's only some people that were sort of, you know... And that's a pity now you're not on the new album because the new album's very good. <laughs> well, I and love... It's, and it's piano-based. I it's love piano the single. Based. Single's lovely, but actually... That's the mo that's one of the more rappy songs on it. Yeah. He's really gone down into kind of melody and piano. With a, yeah, and he's worked on I his think voice. Lose the rapping now, Stormzy. Move on. Yeah, yeah. You we, know, we've heard that. We know you can do move it. Move into sort of Frank Sinatra territory. Yeah. I'm not his manager, it's probably a good the idea. The Great American Songbook. Yeah, do that. <laughs> and uh, can I just say how much I love Motsi Mabusi? She's good value, Motsi Mabusi. Oh, isn't she, she is just, you can just tell that she's got such a twinkle in her eye and gets all the jokes. And she speaks, obviously, you know, she lives in Germany, so she speaks German and she's constantly translating. But uh, I loved her telling the story about Oprah Winfrey telling. <laughs> Saying to her, yes, I'll have a photograph. Saying, Don't tell me your life story. <laughs> I love that. I though. mean, do you ever have to say that to people? No, because well, because it's too because most people don't tell me their life story, yeah. and then every now and again it's too late, and 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 then also because if the, I, you know, Oprah can do it because she's a god, but if someone is telling me some story and it's meaningful and it's sad, it's meaningful to them, and it's yeah. about you know they share a memory, they watch the show with someone who's no longer with them. You can't go, uh, no, don't. no, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> You've got to nod and go, that's lovely. And actually, you know what? Because I don't get that very often. It is lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, Not if their person isn't there anymore. But I, one last thing before before you stop yes, me, yes. and that is, uh, if you haven't seen the television show, do watch it just for this. <laughs> the lady in the red chair had two tummy buttons. Yes, right. And um, that she uses it, shows people and gets its free drinks, etc. But that wasn't interesting. I it made me spurt my coffee on the train when you. <laughs> she said, 
Uh, how do you get two tummy buttons, two umbilical cords? And she said, well, the doctors think that I, um, you know, um, ingested my twin. And you went, so you have two tummy buttons, you ate your twin, but that's not the story. You ate your twin. She might have been traumatised by her ingested twin. You can't say that to people out loud. But it did make me laugh a But lot. also, well, she brought it up. I, I mean, because I was thinking... Very odd to have two belly buttons. Uh, but yes, she's obviously got a bit of her, her twin's yeah. tummy. I felt, though, when she did show them, by the way, to the people listening, She, I felt that she'd, in, she'd made the second belly button herself. Really? <laughs> it didn't look right. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Marie will see you now. It's a lot of trouble to go to just to get free drinks, and I wouldn't advise it to anybody. But no, that made me laugh a lot. No, she was delighted with life, wasn't she? The, in a bar where they serve cocktails and oh teapots. We see it's the Irish thing, isn't it? Yeah. She was a lovely Irish girl with joy in her heart. Yeah, no, very, very, very nice. But I just loved when, after she'd shown the two belly buttons, I just looked over at Gina Davis, Oscar winner Gina Davis. She looked horrified. Her face was just like, yeah, she didn't, she wasn't prepared for that. She came on a chat show. She came on a chat show telling an amusing story about Susan Sarandon, but I didn't didn't expect to be seeing uh, two belly buttons. There. Yeah, James Graham looked a bit vomity too. (laughs) Uh, Right, you gather some letters. Virgin Radio. Radio Uh, Read a letter, go on. Yeah, all right. Dear Graham and Maria, I have lived in London for just over a year now and I am so lonely. I'm not the most outgoing or confident person in the world, so I've always had a pretty small circle. I had a couple of friends from my first job in London, but they've stopped inviting me out. And my flatmate, who was a friend before I moved in, in brackets, has got back with her ex, so she's back in the honeymoon phase and I'm kind of leaving her to it. I get on great with most of my colleagues, but they're older and in a different stage of life to me. I'm 24 and I am fairly independent, but sometimes I just get fed up with doing everything alone. I don't expect to find BFFs overnight, but I really want to meet some new people and get out of this funk of being alone all the time. Please help. And that is from Penny in London. Penny in London, I'm going to be quite harsh with you because I think you can cope with it. When you're saying I get on great with most of my colleagues, they're older and different stage of life to me, you don't know who they know. So you're banishing them from your life. Um, You know, they might have friends of your age. They might know contacts. I don't think you could get anything off the table at this stage because work is where you spend an awful lot of your time. You get on well with them. So so, you know, do stuff with them and they may bring some people along and, you know, the world fans out when you embrace it and when you say yes to things. The other thing I'm going to say to you is don't feel sorry for yourself because that is never, ever appealing when you're looking for new friends. So I would just say... You know, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? Join social groups. There's so much out there on the internet. You can meet up with people. You can go to theatre groups. You can go to cinema groups. You can go to book groups. You can do lots of things. But you have to make some effort here. If you're just relying on work colleagues, that's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to be interested in others. Ask questions. And I would just say to you, Penny in London, smile at people. When you pass them, I know you're shy. You smile and you'll be surprised how many conversations 
conversations start from that because you're open, you're embracing it. I feel there's something about you that is a little closed off here. See, I think the smiling at people works in Hastings. In <laughs> in London, people just think you're crazy. Well, you know, don't go mad. Don't look like the Joker at them. <laughs> I know we've said this before, but I think, you know, just a, it's a sort of element of yeah, openness. I, I mean, I do agree. I do agree. I, I think small talk is is great. If you go into the corner shop, don't just grunt you know, say good morning, you know, uh, make a little comment about what you're buying, whatever. I mean, it sounds tiny, but all those things kind of oil the wheels. Give you confidence. Yeah, and give you confidence. Um, And also, you know, Penny, here you are. You're living in London. And I know there's something kind of overwhelming about London and you can feel, you know, what's that? There's a famous lonely in a crowd or whatever it is. But it also gives you so much opportunity. What? Ever you are interested in, whether it's foreign films, whether it's, you know, sailing ships of the 18th century, whatever the hell you're interested in, there's a group in London right now uh, meeting about it. So go to those, ask questions. Or you f- you find something, I think, are there sports where you've got to do that with someone else? Like yeah, yeah. tennis or rowing or something like that. There'll be groups. Clubs. And they'll be delighted to have a new member. And the other thing, Penny, 24, single in London... Go on dates. Go on dates. There's, you know, there's... Penny is suffering from a lack of confidence here, isn't she? And she's she's going downhill on this one and you've got to turn around quickly and go back up that hill, Penny. But but also, Penny, you know, you say, small small circle, I mean, it's quite a... You know, you you haven't... As Marie says, you haven't tried very hard. You know, you had a couple of friends from your first job. Well you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Then you're, you're friends with your flatmate who's now dating somebody so you know you haven't worked at finding any of these friends mm. you've just fallen just into happened them along. so you need but the good thing is that you are thinking about this you put this letter out into the world you've gone i am lonely i want things to change so actually a very it's good that you've addressed it but now what you've got to do is pull your finger out and do something yourself. Yeah, because you you have identified it, Penny, and but it's not going to come to you. This is the problem. You know, London can be very lonely because everyone's doing their thing and in a rush, but it's all the opportunities are there. But it takes effort. You've got to kind of almost take this on as a military exercise. I think this is what I'll do in order to get the things I want. Yes, and don't be too, as Marie said, don't be too needy in any situations. Needy. Just needy. You know, you just, you go to the meeting and you ask a question or something. Uh, and, you know, you could say to someone, do you want to have a drink afterwards? But don't become that person because no. people will run a mile And don't from take you. rejections too personally because people have busy lives. If they can come, they'll come. If they don't, you know, it's down to you really how you, how yeah, you present yourself. And it doesn't yourself. mean they, they hate you because they don't want to come for a drink. Might do. Well, no, no. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, and of course no. it doesn't. Uh, well Just done, you, Penny, for addressing a problem. Mm-hmm. My favourite responders will be getting a bottle of Waitrose Blueprint Goutte du Rhone Village Wine. Yes, uh, the Blueprint wines are crafted to reflect the world's classic regions and styles, you know. This red wine is fresh, yet rich, with notes of red berry and a hint of spice. Perfect with pasta, stews or sausage and mash. Or indeed a straw. Carol from sunny Long Eaton. It's sunny in Long Eaton. Where did you move from? The 
capital can be a very lonely place and does not suit everyone. Is it really right for you? You're 24. If you're unhappy and lonely, look for another job and get out of there now. And I mean, it's weird, isn't it? That even crossed my mind because I like London. I love living in London. But you're right. It probably doesn't suit everybody. Um, but then, you know, we don't know what Penny does for a living. Maybe that is very much based in London. We don't know. Uh, Amy says, oh, no, this is interesting. I didn't know this. There are dating apps with friend functions now. It's so much less intimidating than putting yourself out there in person at first. I moved to a new town for a job last month and knew nobody. I got onto that app and now I have two great friends who I'm hanging out with most nights. One was in the same position as me and one already had a small group of friends that I'm now also in with and we're finding great new social things to do together. I'm in a small town. And it's worked for me. There will be hundreds of people to choose from in London. And that's one of the other problems in London. Too many people to choose from. <laughs> You're always kind of thinking, I like them, but maybe I could have a better friend. Uh, I'm going to keep looking. But Amy, that uh, thank you for that advice. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Google it, uh, Penny. Uh, dating apps with a friend function. So you're not going on dates. You're just meeting people just to say hi and, and friendship. Uh, good idea. Uh, John and Acton, Penny could think of doing an activity, maybe do a pottery course or a star, start life drawing classes. Plenty of these in London. These types of groups tend to be very supportive, so she doesn't need to worry about her artistic skills, and they're a fertile ground for making good friends. Uh, Lucy, I've also been in London for a similar amount of time. A fun way to combat this is to host a dinner party where you only initially invite a few people. Maybe your flatmate and the odd work colleague, but they have to bring a friend that no one else will know. These evenings always end up being a laugh and a great way to meet new people. I mean, it doesn't suit everyone, Lucy. Uh, one, you have to like cooking, uh, which some people don't. And, and two, you need to know someone to invite. Need someone to invite. Uh, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to give the uh, delicious bottle of Waitrose Blueprint Cote de Rhone Village wine to uh, Amy for your practical advice about the friendship apps. That is uh, good advice. Graham's Guide. I'm going to read you, Graham Norton, another letter now. The second one? Yeah. OK. I yeah. know, it's crazy, isn't no, it? Yeah, I like your, I like your style. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. OK, here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, I have been with my current partner for nine years. Mm. Recently, I discovered that my ex is now separated and going through a divorce. I have been in contact with my ex for over a year. Nothing's happened, but since his separation, he has been in touch and wants me to go back to him. If I'm being honest, I am miserable with my current partner. But if I was to split with him, I'm worried as he has nowhere to go. Also, he has a very short fuse and I'm frightened of mentioning anything. I just don't know what to do. I know that I would be happier with my ex, but hate hurting people. Is it time to put myself first? It's a big step to take. Please help. And that is from Sally in Chelmsford. Oh, Sally in Chelmsford, there's a lot here, a lot going on here. Um, your ex-partner, let's just break it down. Your ex-partner, you know, he's going through a separated, going through a divorce. And he wants to get back with you. I mean, what's wrong with people that just want to leap back into a relationship? There's got to be a period of mourning. There's got to be a period of readjustment. Life isn't that simple, either for him or... Or for you. If you're miserable with your current partner, Sally in Chelmsford, you know, it's not okay to be with someone who has a short fuse and you're frightened of. You're frightened of mentioning things with him. This is not okay. So when you say, shall I put myself first? Yes. 
Always put yourself first, especially in light of what you have just told us. You can leave him. And you say, I, he has nowhere else to go. You know what? He's got a short fuse. You're frightened of him. Why do you care? It's your house. Or if you leave, he's got nowhere to go. It's his issue. You know, maybe he's got a short fuse and you're frightened of him because he's furious with you. Because he, if you do split up with him, he's got nowhere else to go. But you have to get out of that relationship, Sally in Chelmsford, before you do anything else. If someone makes you frightened and you know that you're in danger, you just have to leave. With regards to the ex... I just need think you need to put space in between. You know, everything is moving at such a fast pace here. Here's a solution to my problem. I have a horrible time with my ex. I'm with my current partner. I'll go back with my ex. You just need to slow this down, Graham. I know, absolutely. And also, they're your ex. You broke up. You broke up, and I bet you it was for a reason. You didn't just kind of go, we're so delirious to have you. I love you so much. But anyway, let's break up. No. Something wasn't working in that relationship. And whatever it was, try to remember it. Because, uh, you know, it's probably it's still got to be there. Um, the, I think forget about the ex. Just put that all to one side. That is nothing to do with anything, really. But I think she's finding no, the, this a solution, yes, isn't she? It's exactly. not a solution. And it solution. shouldn't be. You focus on where you are, Sally and Chelmsford, and that is miserable and frightened in a nine-year relationship. And it's not going to be easy to get out. If you are if you are genuinely frightened of this man, then you need some help. You need some allies. You need some, you know, I don't know whether you've got family, you've got friends. You can always go to Relate. Relate isn't just about putting people back together again. Relate is about how you leave a relationship. I think you need support here. Yeah, no, definitely you need support because, you know, this isn't a made-up thing. You know, you don't want to be alone in a house with a man who's you know, angry and you are frightened of. So get some support, Sally, because this cannot continue. This is nothing to do with the ex. You need out of this thing. You, you know, you are miserable in it and, and you're only staying in it because he's got nowhere to go and you're frightened of him. That's not a relationship. That's a, some sort of emotional prison. Yeah. Uh, you, you've, you know, you've got yourself painted into a corner there and you need to get out. And I don't think you can probably do it by yourself. I think you need people or experts or, or therapy or somebody around you um, to help you get out of this thing. The ex um, isn't the answer. You need to get out first and then deal with it. I think the ex is just a... It, it, that's a distraction. It's just... Yeah. It, it, listen, if it is the, the thing that spurs Sally to get out of this relationship, then good. But Sally, don't be thinking that's your future. It isn't. But when you're in that situation and you're lonely and you feel scared, you'd think, I can't be alone. I need someone else. And so she's just kind of going, oh, here's another crutch, my ex. Yeah. Um, I, but good luck to you, Sally, because at least... Be brave. Uh, yeah, and also at least this this ex kind of raising their ugly head has made you realise that oh, I, this cannot go on. I've got to get out of this thing. So good luck, Sally. Hopefully the listeners will have some kind of practical advice for you. The best responder will be getting a bottle of the Waitrose Blueprint Côte de Rhone Village wine. Mmm, fresh, yet rich. Cheryl in Minehead. Sally, find a class in assertiveness. Placing positive people in your world will be liberating and will give you the confidence to rid your life of bullying boyfriends. Start anew. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Mark from Wiltshire. 
you should get in touch with Solace Women's Aid. That's Solace Women's Aid. They have independent domestic abuse advocates who can talk about what's going on and help you come up with a plan. Uh, Sally might not consider feeling frightened as abuse, but it is. I mean, I so agree with you, Mark. You know, you should not be frightened in a relationship. That's just horrific. Uh, so that's the Solace Woman's Aid. That's the name of that organisation. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Laura's in Hampshire. You must ask this person to leave as they sound toxic. What I would say is plan it very carefully. Get lots of things in place like finances and bills if you share them and have friends to have your back when you tell your partner to combat his short fuse. Whether or not you end up with your ex, which is rarely a good idea, honestly, move on with you Laura it's time to make this change for the better in your life life is too short to stay with someone who you don't love and who scares you and it's been going on for nine years now so yeah you're absolutely right Laura and Heather uh, says hopping from one relationship to another straight away is called monkey barring I did not know that but I I get the image you know of the monkey bars. Uh, You need to get out of your current relationship as it sounds unsafe, but don't rush into another relationship, especially not with your ex. Take some time for yourself to decide what you really want. Monkey barring. Monkey barring. Who knew? I'm going to give the the delicious bottle of Cotrone Village wine from Waitrose to uh, Laura in Hampshire for some practical advice there. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. I am joined now by our first guest of the day, uh, the Guardian columnist, a journalist, uh, who's now collected a bunch of her columns from just before Brexit till April. Uh, it is called What? just happened. Her name is Marina Hyde. Hello, Marina. Hello, Graham. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> I like that my first question is the title of your book. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> what, what has just happened? What is still happening? <laughs> what is going to happen? It's very unclear. I mean, I often say to people that covering British politics over the last few years has been like being sort of chained to a lunatic. And you wake up every morning thinking, what will the lunatic now do now? You know, where will the lunatic take us today? And Um, Obviously, I hope that I would be promoting this book in a period of sublime calm where we were able to look back on the chaos of the last six years and say, God, remember that crazy time. But as it turns out, (laughs) if anything, things are getting more crazy and weirder. And can the cart that long ago left the tracks leave wherever it is? Even I don't know where we are now, but it's uncharted. Yes. I mean, it, yes, your book has turned out to be an amuse-bouche <laughs> for the main course of but, madness. Uh, yes. That, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. And I, when I was trying to pick how I actually began the book, strangely, although there's obviously a lot of jokes in the book and there's, um, you know, and I've always tried to sort of make people laugh in order to get serious points across... The one I picked um, as the start of the one was a column I wrote the day after Joe Cox was murdered because I always want to sort of show, I guess, in my writing that um, although, you know, there are ways to talk about it, there are ways to laugh about it, politics is a game paid for the highest stakes and in some case, some yeah. cases, people's lives. And even now, when all of this is playing out, we mu- it's really important that we don't see it all as some sort of workplace comedy because everything that is happening now, right now, has real-world implications for, you know, so many people in this country who are struggling and, you know, as we've seen, small things can move markets. Small things can make people make people's food bills higher, make their mortgage bills higher. So at the same time as sort of trying to find humour in it or find sometimes quite savage humour to 
you know, make a serious point, you have to remember that it's all real. And interestingly, uh, uh, one of the columns not far after that is the one uh, where Boris doesn't become leader. Oh, yeah, Michael another Gove, of his... Michael yeah. Gove kind of... And you're... You're, uh, you're writing about that and what and we were just saying while the record was on what's great is you know we now know what happens next well, but in the column you think that's kind of the end of it, it it's it's yes I mean when you when I went back to put all these columns in the book someone said to me afterwards oh it's quite weird actually knowing what's going to happen gives an even sort of weirder edge to it yeah. all because it's a bit like a Greek tragedy where they tell you everything that's going to happen in the play <laughs> in the prologue and so when you're watching you're like oh I see that's going to really you know so as you see the Conservatives I don't know rejecting Johnson and then you know a few years later circling saying we'll never have him back we'd never have him back and then you see that they start thinking well I mean you know I suppose in some circumstances and they get closer and closer and then they go it and then they could do it again the idea that we're back there right now seems to me quite surreal um, and we'll just have to see how that one plays out and also what did you you say that thing about real world consequences yeah. you know that it's at very high stakes it seems like they're playing it not for real. They're just, it's just about them. It's just about the Tory party. Well, it, it, yes, it, it, you know, there's elements of things, you know, TV shows like Succession or whatever to it that, you know, that it has real, it has massively huge effects on normal people's lives. But it, it's a game for them played for high stakes, but never their own. Um, and so they're sort of insulated. Most of the characters in this are sort of insulated in many ways. I mean, you know how we talk about them as characters. That's yeah. how sort of overblown <laughs> it all is. But most of them are insulated in any way from, um, mainly financially, from the sort of most brutal consequences of their own decisions um, so there's a quite a sort of godlike thing to it all in some ways that kind of like the Mount Olympus of appalling behaviour of the Greek and Roman gods who were always doing horrendous things um, and then it all you know it gets visited on the ordinary people yeah, below. But they have a right to be there and uh, <laughs> uh, tell me this in your how do you think of yourself? Are you a journalist still, or oh. are you a humorist? Are you what, what, you know you're not a satirist because you are actually describing what's going on, and yet you you are mostly playing it for laughs. Yes, I mean, well, I always really believe in the power of humour to make very serious points, and I almost think it can be a bit like a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. So <laughs> yeah. I do, um, and also for God's sake, so half the time you have got to laugh about some of it because just to get yourself through it, it's quite a human response to quite often quite. Quite tragic events. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I suppose I think of myself as, I suppose I think of someone, someone trying to make the news as engaging and accessible as possible in many ways, because I do actually believe that politics is the way to solve, you know, problems in life. But that's and, good. So you still believe in it as a process? Uh, yeah, I believe, I've been, I've been let down a few times over the last <laughs> few years, Graham. Um, but yes, ultimately I have to believe in it. And I think that more and more people, I'm afraid the polling shows are turning away from the, the the idea of democracy, perhaps because of what we've been through here in America, wherever, over the last few years. So, But I, yes, ultimately, I have to believe in politics and its power to um, increase prosperity and tolerance and the other lodestars of why you should get into the game. So is there a tiny bit of optimism still lurking inside Marina Hyde? There has to be, doesn't there? But it's very... There, there has to be op optimism, but it's very difficult to hang on to it. Yeah, I, there has to be a better way. And as we were saying, they're all still fascinating because because they're not timely, they become more fascinating. Well, in a way, and also, the, as we've seen, you know, the, these characters don't die. It's kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where no-one actually dies anymore. They just come back in a different timeline. So, you know, Johnson can come back. Someone, you know, Trump is the favourite to be the Republican nominee. You know, in the old days... 
these people would have been placed beyond use and a sort of like they did at Chernobyl, build a kind of big concrete hood <laughs> over them. Perhaps the pe- Johnson and Trump could have been pe- left together to for all yeah. eternity. <laughs> Instead, they're sort of back in play. Uh, Ben has been in touch. He says, uh, political events often moved at breakneck speed over the last few years. Do you ever have to scrap a column and start again just before a deadline because something mad has happened overtaking what you've written? That's a very good question. Occasionally I do. It's always quite exhilarating when you do that. Funny enough, I remember when Boris Johnson did his first resignation speech just in the wake of of Brexit. And you had to sort of file almost like on final whistle as if it were a football match. And he did this press conference and I wrote all the 800 words during it while he was saying it. And his last line was, and I've concluded that I will not be standing. It's like, right, <laughs> just deleted the whole thing and started again. But it, there's quite a sort of adrenaline to that. And you, funnily enough, you kind of come up almost with better jokes when you're writing super against the clock. I don't know, something just happens and you, it, it, it's, there's a, but yes, there's been a lot of times over the last few years where you've had to think, right, I'll scrap that and go again. There's so much material that hasn't been covered because so many things have happened. Things that we would have dined out on as journalists for sort of two weeks in the old days when you could quite well happily ignore the news for two weeks and come back and things will be in the same place have just you know gone in a quarter of a news cycle and have never really even been covered yeah well it's clever now the way that you know there's so many scandals you can get away with more because yeah you could go look over there look at well, the, donald trump's kind of that strategist steve bannon used to say that he used to say flood the zone with s i'm not going to swear on your yeah, radio show you and much. then he felt that that was the best way because there's so much going on that people can't latch on to the you know it's just you're kind of blinded by it all and it's felt like we've been living through that for quite some time now and does a little bit of you, as a as a you know a, a humorous and working journalist, sort of dread the idea of Prime Minister Keir Starmer because there lies dull? Well, a lot of people have asked me that. I mean, as I say, politics is nonetheless a, a story of sort of workplace comedy. There is always comedy to be found in lots of it, um, and. I think that, you know, imperfect humans try and manage events. And that, I guess, is the tagline for all of politics. Um, but so there would certainly be funny things to write about with him. But I think just whoever were to take over at any point, I think the British people would probably deserve like just a few years where they just don't really have to think about the news. They can yeah. just switch it off. Yeah. And, and can you switch it off or are you constantly working, kind of? You're co- I you think know. about it a lot, but I think about it naturally anyway. But I don't do things like... I don't watch Prime Minister's Questions every week or all the Sunday morning politics shows or anything like that. I don't feel that you necessarily, in my particular job, have to do that. Um, and so I do kind of try and... And also I think you, if you just become so so sucked into the Westminster Village nature of it, you stop seeing the jokes, what it might appear to to everyone else who isn't inside this permanent soap opera and just has to watch it. And I prefer to be more more like the reader, watching at home on the sofa, but not all the time. But you must be, because you're such a star in that world now. People must come to you. Well, no, but I... Strangely, Graham, I, I don't have any um, you know conversations with politicians particularly. I'm not really... I'm, I, I don't want to be friends or be on some social circuit, with, <laughs> as you can probably tell from my columns. Um, but I don't want to be in part of some kind of drinks party gang or anything like that. And I'm lucky I don't need to be, because I don't need to get stories from these people. Everything I write is based on the great reporting of other people. I just can swan in with my whimsy and opinions at the last minute. Um, But I don't, in order to do that well, need to be friends. And in fact, I know it would make it much more difficult and I would self-edit if I formed sort of friendly relationships with these people. But because they are, the egos are strong with them. The egos, yeah. 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 Do Do you ever get feedback where people have enjoyed being savaged by you in a column? I, funnily enough, don't get that, Graham. 
I don't, I don't actually get that. Um, but you know what I mean. You know the way like cartoonists, yes. they ring up and say, oh, can I can please I buy, buy that, that please? one? Yeah. Yes, they strangely don't ask me to sign editions of my columns <laughs> making grotesque descriptions of them. Um, and But if it ever happens, I'll come back and tell you all about it. Uh, we're nearly out of time, but I need to know uh, who, what, what's, what's your informed opinion? What's going to happen next? What is oh, going to happen God, next? I mean, I hate making predictions. It, it is definitely possible that jo- jo- Boris Johnson will get down to the final two and then it, it seems to me at the moment likely it will be Sunak and Johnson but it, predictions are a mad person's game after the last few years it, that that is true <laughs> <laughs> that is true and would, would you care as a human being or as a journalist who who got the job I think we tried Boris Johnson once <laughs> and I think it's somebody else's turn is, is the most tactful way I could put it okay yeah Let's not, let's not keep making the same mistake. <laughs> and expecting a different result. result Character yeah. is fate. <laughs> uh, the book is called What Just Happened. It is published by Faber and it's out now. Thank you so much, Marina Hyde, Thank for being so with much. us. Take care. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Be easy, everybody. Yes, back after four years. Ollie Murs. Hello. Hello, Graham. Where the hell have you been? Um, I've just <laughs> I've been here and there and everywhere, to be honest with you. But uh, no, it's nice to be back and nice to see you. But like you, I know mean, obviously there was a pandemic in the middle there. But yeah. uh, but were you performing? During that time, were you singing? Were you yeah. gigging and all that? So you 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 didn't disappear. No, I've been obviously on TV as well. I've been doing The Voice, and I, I did a new show last year called Starstruck. So I've been doing bits and bobs, but music obviously is my bread and butter. That's that's what I love. That's that's how people know me. So in the process of that, yeah, I've been doing tours and shows, but I've been recovering from a really serious knee injury for a couple of years. And uh, so last year I actually went out. I, me, me and Tom Jones, actually, funny enough, I always remember me and T, TJ talking about it. TJ. We, TJ, TJ, he's my friend. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I don't oh, even say TJ. sir anymore, yeah. TJ. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we were the first to go out last year after lockdown to go and do gigs so I was so excited and then I did uh, new market race course and my knee popped so I had oh, to go back no. into the uh, surgery and then get an, another operation so it's been a bit mad really but, uh, but oh, it's what, good what, is it an old injury is it a footballing thing or something yeah I did my knee years ago playing football in Essex and um yeah, this, was, this was going back 2007 something like that and I and I left it for years I didn't do I did I couldn't afford to do the 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 rehab and the physio and I went back to work and anyway over the course of 12 13 years my knee just started crumbling and I was like my knee I looked in the mirror and I'm thinking my knee don't look right and um, so I went and saw the doctor and he said you know all the years of touring and all the dancing and everything I was getting up to he said you've just your knee is like a 50 year old knee and I was like what so uh, I ended up having to go in and get surgery and um it was great. It was all going really, really well. But I had a freak accident last summer and a bone had lodged itself into the middle of my neck. I know. I'll stop. People are trying to cook their lunch. <laughs> Sorry if you're eating dinner or lunch. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I had surgery and everything's fine now. So, yeah. So in the process of that, I was doing music and I was, you know, uh, obviously writing a new album and in the process of getting back on stage again. And so, yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of four years, but a, a great time for me. I needed a break anyway. Yeah. As you know, I mean, we see we used to see each other pretty much every Christmas. Yeah. And uh, 
and now now it's been nice to have a break and and come back and talk about music again and um and feel re-energized and not be single anymore i'm in love and Aww. yeah it's been it's oh, nice. ollie's in love i know because I know. I know. ollie was a player he was a player <laughs> and now Shh, don't tell her that <laughs> she's listening <laughs> no, well, she knows <laughs> um, no it's lovely so uh, and the album you know you're listen you're on it you're you are engaged and the, the album's called marry me yeah and so are a lot of these songs kind of about that whole process of being in love and and thinking this is the one and and planning a life together no it's oh. not, actually not that's the weirdest thing it, it kind of it's a it's pop music so I, I didn't really go in with the intention of writing about amelia but then as we were writing there's little nuggets of her in all the songs but when people get the album they're going to be pretty shocked because it's not a a lovey dovey album and then I remember we'd, we'd got 10, 10 tracks and I said, we haven't got any ballads on this album. We better write a soppy love song. <laughs> so we ended up doing that. The last song is called Let Me Just Say, which is the last track on the album. And that's the only song that Amelia hasn't actually listened to yet. I actually haven't played it to her because I'm a bit, it's really quite emotional and quite sad, and, but lovely. And I'm a bit like, as she walks down the aisle, as she walks down the aisle. It's actually a song. Oh, could that that could be the time I play it to her? But actually, the song is about me and her in that moment. Well, you know, when, when couples are in that moment at the wedding where they're just about okay. to have their first dance. Okay, fine. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to describe then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this is the moment where we just the, the song was written about us being on in, in that moment together, just about to have our first dance, and I, it's very emotional, and, I, and it came from a lovely place, and I'm I'm a bit worried about playing it to her, but. I'll um, play it to her before the album comes out. But here's uh, the thing. So you must be plan you're planning the wedding, right? Yes. Yeah. So have you got a first song? Like, have you got a first dance? We have actually. And what who can you don't tell us the song, because that'll spoil it. But can you tell is is it one of yours? <laughs> <laughs> I did think that would be quite funny. Um but no, it's not one of ours. It's 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 funny enough, we were in uh, the song, I'm not gonna tell you what the song is, because no, that'll because it's uh, it's a special song for us. But it's a cla it's a classic song, but we actually it was uh, in Morocco when I first heard it acoustically and I thought, this is a beautiful song. That was that moment when me and Amelia looked at each other and the song was on and we just thought, hmm, I'm in love with you, actually. And then she was in love and she said the same. We both had a feeling together. And uh, so that song's going to be played, yeah. But it's not one of mine. Oh, not one okay. of mine, just okay. to confirm. <laughs> Sitting in a restaurant in Morocco. Yeah. I love this. I mean, you. <laughs> oh, actually, it's one of mine. <laughs> and, uh, and where is the wedding happening in, in Britain? Yes, we've got to have it in the UK, and we've we've decided that because of our grandparents, and we you know we've got quite elderly grandparents, and we wanted them to be there for our special day. But Amelia's from Plymouth, and I'm from Essex, so we were trying to like kind of figure this out. But I London. Think we've... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do it in Manchester. London. We're going to do it in Manchester. Uh, but we've actually, we've, we've, we're going to do it in Essex, yeah. So oh, oh, we're right. Oh, that's confirmed, yeah. You win. Yeah, I win. Yeah. I won that battle. Wow. He wears the tight trousers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you were saying, it's interesting the way it works. So they, that came to you kind of like pre-cooked, but not cooked. Not, yeah, yeah. So I was actually out for lunch in London. Oh, literally. With, with a guy called, yeah, yeah. Um, with a guy called Ray. And he, we was having lunch together. And he said to me, he said, I've... Um, do you know that new song on the radio? It's a BTS Dynamite, and I said, "Yeah, yeah it's a great song." He goes, "Well, it's number one everywhere in the world." He said, "I and my my friend, a friend of mine, that's his son that did that song," and he said, Are you, "Would you like to work with him?" I said, "Yeah, but yeah." At the time, I hadn't done any music; I didn't know what I was doing. And um, within a week, the, an email came through from from him. 
yeah. and uh, that was the song. It was Die of a Broken Heart. And I and I, I listened to it and there was no second verse. So he just said, you know, would you like to come in and write it or, or sing the song? Um, and I was like, yeah, I love it. And I just, you know, yeah, I went in and we wrote the, the second verse. And, and then it, and then that, I had that, I've had that song, God, nearly two years. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm t- that's going back to like 2020, I had that song. Wow. So I've been like holding it for ages. <laughs> that was a long time. And then I went through this whole process of, I like it, I don't like it. I like it, <laughs> nope, I don't like it. And it just kind of, and then in the end, I liked it and loved it. And we, we ended up signing a new record deal with EMI, Universal, and then... That's the first single, yeah. And the album, is it similar with the rest of the tracks on the album that you were you kind of co-wrote them, you're involved yeah. in the process It was the, the first album that I've done with just David Stewart and Jessica Ocomba. So we, we did it all together. And I've never done that before. Normally, writing, you might get 12 weeks or 16 weeks or f- however long you want to write with different writers and producers. But this occasion, because we had two years, I had no deal at this point. So I was like, I'm just going to write and as and when we see each other so every two or three months we'd meet up and we just go in the studio and write and see what we come up with and every time we did we came up with a really good couple of songs yeah, yeah, yeah. so then the album just kind of finished and then so when I when I was then looking at looking at signing a deal with another record company I had three or four different people interested and so I had the album I just went there you go here it is <laughs> uh, what do you think and everyone just loved it um, and you know in the end I decided EMI and so it was it was a good process two years managed to get it all done and yeah. yeah, and here's the thing: it's not just music. You are ripped now. You are Ollie Murr's uh, Man Mountain. Uh, man was, mountain. was that just because of the knee, or how? You know, because you didn't just fix your knee. You you did a full you, 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 head to toe, head to toe. Look well, at me now. You know, it's funny what they can do now. I, I literally went in there and said, you know, can you fix everything else? Um, you know what? It's more Amelia, really. Um, she loves training. Is she, is she a personal trainer? No, she works for the bank actually and she just used to do a bit of fitness modeling and she used to do so look, people say it's bodybuilding but it's sort of close to that and she she used to do all this training and she did a couple of competitions won everything she she's amazing she looks fantastic in a bikini i must say and uh, <laughs> must I, say. Just, I just thought to myself <laughs> you know what um we was in lockdown and she was feeling really unmotivated she said oh i'm gonna go on this plan again i'm gonna start prepping i'm gonna start doing a competition i said i'll tell you what i'll do it with you and I'm, I was 36 at the time. I said, you know, I'll do it and see if I can get a, a pack. Just yeah. one pack. I don't want the six pack, <laughs> just any pack. And she said, okay, let's do it. So I, I, there was no ch- I said, there was no chance I'm going to get ripped. And um, I just did the plan with her, ate the same food. We trained together. And then I just got to about four months in and I just looked in the mirror and thought, oh my God, I've actually got like a 12 pack. Where did that come from? Um, and I just want to feel good and live a, live a better life. I think one thing I've especially over the last two, three years with everything that's happened in, in lockdowns and with COVID and stuff like that. I think the one thing that I've got from it was that we need to look after our bodies and, and you know, all this takeaway food and rubbish stuff that I was eating. I was like, you know what? I want to start eating better, feeling yeah. better, and that will help my immune system, all that sort of stuff. So it's lots of things really, but just feeling well, good. I have a high hopes for your marriage. If you survive that fitness <laughs> regime together <laughs> without killing each other, um, yeah. I think, yeah. Well, they say if you, train to, if you train together, you stay together. That's what they say, I or think. Or kill each other. One, <laughs> one of the other. It's one, it's one of those. I'm not sure what the expression is. Uh, 
Uh, what's uh, the album is called Marry Me. It won't be out till December the second, but you can mm-hmm. pre-order it now. Is that, yes, you can pre-order I, it now and everything else. Uh, lovely. And uh, also, there is that arena tour. Sorry, we haven't really talked about that. The arena tour is happening next year. Uh, tickets available now at Olimers All One Word dot com. Olimers dot com. And of course, the single Die Broken Heart is out now. Uh, Ollie, thank you so much for coming in to it's see so us. So great to see you. Uh, off you go. Essex awaits. Oh, well, I'm out of here. I'll <laughs> yeah, see you soon. The weekend ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourself. Thank you, you too, so much. Buddy. Cheers. Bye. Still to come, Dolly Alderton, who has a new book out, Dear Dolly. And there's a round of Guess the Guest. But first, who's in the building? Martha's in the building. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh. I'm very well indeed. Oh, hang on. Here we go. Martha. You know, oh, we spent the money. Officially here. Uh, <laughs> we spent the money. Uh, there you go. Uh, so uh, before we do anything, uh, some lovely feedback from the listeners. Yes. Uh, Moira's in Glasgow. She made the chicken dish you made recently. You know, the one dish one with the chicken oh, the, and sweet the potato. Galangal. Galangal, 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 And uh, it was, uh, she, what appealed to her was the one dish factor. Uh, I'm so lazy. And it was easy to make and yummy, oh. says Moira. Oh, I'm so pleased. And Sarah in County Wicklow in Ireland, uh, she's made your best lasagna uh, from Waitrose, which was that last week. It was well done, Sarah. It's yeah, a, it's a long, it's a big effort. So I hope it was worth it. Oh look, she made batches of it. She made oh, loads wow. of it. You're sending a picture. Oh, a picture as and well. Yeah, and that's a beautiful presentation of your best lasagna. And shout out for your very attractive splashback. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Loving life in County Wicklow. Okay, what can people make oh, this week? What have we got? So, this week I have got a quick pork ramen. Okay, let's play record and I'll eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Needs no more introduction than that. <laughs> uh, what, I mean, what sort of pork is it, if you know what I mean? What, what makes it quick? So, we're using pork belly and you'll be thinking, that's not quick. That takes hours to cook properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're using a little Waitrose... It's only Waitrose. Graham. Let's see if we can poison him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit raw, no. We're using a Waitrose shortcut. So they sell these packs of kind of pre-cooked, half, like halfway, I call it the halfway packs. Okay. Like, so it's slow-cooked pork belly. They've done all the hard work for you. They've slow-cooked it for eight hours. And all you need to do is put it into the oven for 25 minutes. And okay. they give you the crackling as well, <gasps> which I was amazed at when I opened the box this morning. Are you saying there's crackling in that bowl? Yeah. Why am I talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> so you can cook the pork in 25 minutes, but it tastes like it's been cooked for hours and hours and hours. So it's quick. And it's quick pork ramen. Now, ramen, I would think noodle, but the this is featuring the Waitrose Cook's ingredients range. This is ramen paste. What's ramen paste? So ramen paste is what we've used to make the broth. So a traditional ramen broth is kind of simmered for hours and hours to make that love, to get all those lovely flavours from the ginger and the miso and all the other good things you've got in there. But this is essentially like a a very big stock cube jar. (laughs) So it makes this beautiful stock, this lovely broth, which is really flavoursome. Because if it's filling up most of your bowl, you want it to taste good. You could ruin a bowl like this with a terrible ramen. Oh, that'd be awful. It, oh. would, it would, wouldn't it? Imagine uh, going to all the effort of doing all the, of putting your pork in the oven for twenty-five minutes. minutes of opening that packet and eating, <laughs> eating instant crackling. I promise, there's other parts to the recipe. Yeah. But yeah, imagine if you do all that, put it in the bowl, and then you cover it. It's like bad gravy. So if you get the ramen paste, you could use that just as stock for anything. Yeah. You could, yeah, just do other noodles in it, and da, da, da. oh, that's really oh, good. Oh, for to sure, know. yeah, for sure. And you could do. You don't need to dilute it as much as I have. I've made it into kind of more of a soup, but you could keep it a little bit stronger and use it as more of a sauce if you wanted to. Mmm, very nice. Uh, okay, let's. Um, I'm going to get eating, and then we'll uh, learn how to fix it. Well, you find your DJ in a much better mood now. <laughs> now that he's wolfed down some quick pork ramen, that is delicious. Oh, so thank good. You. And that. Because you kind of think, oh, instant crackling, how nice will that be? (laughs) 
It is so good. It's the real deal. Really, really nice. Uh, All right, Martha, uh, talk us through it. How do we do this? So start with your pork. You can actually kind of use any meat here because the broth itself is vegetarian. So if you wanted it to be chicken, if you wanted it to be fish. But pork is really lovely because it pulls apart and just looks the business and you get the crackling. Mm. So that goes into the oven to cook. And then whilst that's happening, we're going to do our eggs. So a good ramen has always got one of those lovely jammy eggs on the top with a good bright yellow yolk. So they are seven-minute eggs. They go into the water, seven minutes, get them out, cool them down, and then peel them. So is it boiling water you put them in for yes. seven minutes? So yes, Boiling yes. water, in they go, seven minutes, boom, done. Set your timer. The, like- the yolks on these eggs, I can't tell you, are so vivid and gorgeous. Are they special eggs? They are. These are Waitrose number one longstock gold eggs. So from very I thought as much. privileged chickens. Um, yes. But they create beautiful yolks. And when you're putting it on the top of a dish like this, you want it to be a good egg. Hey? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so this is chickens with names have laid these eggs. <laughs> yes, you know, it probably says on the box. <laughs> uh, OK, so there seven minutes of that. OK, so... Pork's in, we've done our eggs, what's next? So eggs are done. We are now going to do the noodles. So the udon noodles take 10 minutes to cook, so they go into your water. It's kind of like doing all these things and then you can put it all to one side and it will, because the broth is so hot at the end, it will warm everything back up again. So don't think, oh my goodness, I can't do all these things And these once. are medium noodles. Yes. They're not the really, they're not the super thick slug ones. They're, yes. And they're not the needle ones. They're somewhere in they're between. They're in between. They hold the sauce, but they're not too splashy. Okay, very good. (laughs) So once your noodles are cooked, we're then going to do this broth. So we take this jar of cooked ingredients ramen paste, put it in with some water, and then we add our shiitake mushrooms in there as well. Mm -hmm. Cook that till it's nice and warmed through, about two or three minutes. Then we cook some pak choy as well, a little bit of greens on top, but again, use your favourite vegetables. Then we're going to assemble it all in that bowl. So you start with your noodles, pour over your ramen with the mushrooms, and then top it with the pak choy, with a bit of pork, with your spring onions... It's all in the assembly. I did think this would be a lovely thing to do if you were having like a dinner party and you wanted something a bit different. You could have all of the bits on the table, give everyone a bowl of the ramen and they could just... Oh, top it up as they fill want. Fill up their yes. own bowl. So that only lives in that bowl. It Like that doesn't exist as a, <laughs> yeah. as a complete thing somewhere else. This is a bespoke. It's oh, a bespoke wow. bowl of noodle soup for you. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. But actually, when you break it down like that, it does sound quite simple. And as you say, because you've got to pour very hot um, ramen broth over it you can let things sit a bit yeah exactly it will rewarm those noodles and the egg and everything like that and you can mix it in and because the broth itself is vegetarian if you've got people at the table who aren't having the pork you could do some them some tofu you could do them some extra vegetables put that on top instead lovely a baby corn on the cob nice <laughs> <Yes>. uh, that <laughs> that recipe uh, and indeed all recipe pasta can be found in the Graham Norton Waitrose hub on the Waitrose website waitrose.com slash showchef or you could also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK is that in the weekend paper or anything or is it just online it's in the magazine it's in the in magazine the October magazine it's on the front cover so you can't miss it oh it's a cover star <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we've eaten a cover star uh, thank you very much Martha we'll see you tomorrow sweet or savoury uh, both oh my I know you're in for a treat tomorrow I am <laughs> in for a treat sweet and savoury the Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose food to feel good about Virgin Radio uh, what have you made Martha fully vegetarian don't worry oh very <laughs> no good no human beings were harmed <laughs> um, today I've got a feast for Diwali so, ah. some beautiful Indian dishes by um, Indian food writer Chetna Makan. So, we've got a shahi veg pilau. 
Mm. which is a rice dish, very regal. I think uh, shahi means royal, so it's like a regal Okay, so posh rice. rice. Posh, posh rice. We've got posh rice. <laughs> <laughs> and I've made you an Indian sweet as well, because these are very big at Dubai, and I felt like you couldn't have just the rice on yeah, its own. Yeah, yeah, so this yeah. is coconut pistachio barfi. Okay. I have to say, it looks really impressive. You've brought it in in these two big platters that, you know, if you were sitting around a table, this would look impressive. If you put those down, <laughs> uh, you can just imagine people going, ooh, posh rice. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had lunch with a chef friend yesterday, and whilst he was prepping the food, I realised the trick, and it's to pile high. So if basically, if I made this and spread it out all over a plate, you'd think, oh, it's just rice. But if you take your rice and you pile it into a huge, impressive pile, even just on people's plates, people think, oh. Yeah, no, honestly, wow. that looks terrific. <laughs> what is that a big cinnamon stick? Oh, there's a big cinnamon stick in the middle, yeah. All kinds of spices and fragrances going into this. And it's vegetarian, as I mentioned, so, you know, and is it suits it, everyone. Does it take hours because of the, all the spices and things, or is it quick? No, it is quick. Often when you hear celebratory food, for example, Christmas, everything takes forever, and yeah. you have to like you know get yourself get yourself ready, have a big breakfast so you can attack yeah, yeah, the yeah. day. This was really straightforward. So if you want to celebrate Diwali, easy. Okay, this All bit's right. easy. I'm sure there's lots of more complicated parts, but yes. I've picked a nice simple recipe <laughs> well, to use. <laughs> well done, you. You know your audience. <laughs> how easy is it? It's easy. Uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't I eat it, and then we'll find out how to make it. I have to say, like it packs a punch in terms of flavour. It's not hot hot mm. but it, it it has a kind of depth of flavor because it looks very simple but actually real depth of flavor so what goes on yeah so it's spiced but it's not spicy so it's got lots of spice <laughs> very good oh, yeah um, i'll put that in a t-shirt spiced not spicy, not spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um i like this recipe because it takes a lot of very humble ingredients like a carrot and a potato and some frozen peas but it makes them into something quite special so we're going to start by frying off some spices you heat some oil in a pan and chuck in a bay leaf a cinnamon stick cardamom pods cloves all those kind of festive spices mm. go in yeah, 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 yeah simmer that for a bit and then the onions go in i think onions when you're cooking them whenever people come around and you're cooking even if it's just plain onions we're like oh that smells nice. Yeah. What are you making? You're like, I'm literally just frying <laughs> onions. But it's got something in it. I don't know what that compound is that people just love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the onions fry. Then we're going to add in cubed carrot and potato. Cook that for a bit more. Rice goes in. Water goes in. Along kind with... Of water, very small cubed. Yes. Yeah. You want to keep them nice and small. Otherwise, you'll have a... a no, a it's, crunchy piece of yes, potato. It's dainty. <laughs> it is dainty cubing. There was a lot of cubing went on in your life. There was a lot of yes. That, lot that, of must, fine be the, that must be the time-consuming bit of this cubing up the whole stuff. It is, but when your onion's going, you can kind of if you're good at okay. multitasking, okay. be cubing whilst your okay. onion is frying. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you want to add salt and pepper because there's no kind of meaty hero ingredient in this. You need to add salt and pepper because that seasoning is what's going to bring it alive. So salt and pepper, garam masala, and ground cumin all go in. Water goes over the top, basmati rice, and then the lid goes on. 15 minutes is all that will take to cook through. And then we're going to make this lovely topping. So we've got ghee in a pan, chuck in some cashews, some almonds and some raisins. I feel like some people find raisins in savoury food a bit controversial. Well... How do you feel about raisins? I, you know, they're not my favourite thing, but I don't hate them. And I, I must have got lucky because I don't you think I... didn't I, find I, one. I, did, I didn't eat one, no. I have a lot of people in my life who are very objectful to raisins in their food. So you could leave them out or put in something like an apricot or a fruit that they find less. Well, see, I'd prefer a raisin than an apricot. If I wanted an <laughs> apricot, like, no. I'd be really like, whoa. 
back off, apricot. What are you doing here? Uh, yeah, or I, I could forgive a raisin. Yeah. <laughs> so then once your um, rice is ready, we're going to pour that over the top of it so you get this lovely crunchy buttery topping onto a plate. And then I made you some Indian sweets as well. These are super simple. So. Okay. So these are the coconut pistachio uh, barfi. Yep. So this is literally condensed milk and desiccated coconut. Gets mi- toasted and mixed together with some ground cardamom. Cook it for five minutes in a saucepan until it comes away from the edges of the pan. Then press it into a tin, sprinkle with a bit of ground pistachio and leave it to set. The end? The end. Easy. Wow. And then And then cut it up. Unless you want one giant sweet. Yeah. And then eat it. Yeah. And then eat it. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, that's fabulous. Uh, the recipes, that recipe, and indeed all our recipes, past and presents, we found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef. Uh, see all those recipes from Martha. Uh, you can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, thank you very much. Have a lovely week. You too. All right. Take care. See you next weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my guest. For the last two years, she has been advising people on love, life and friendship. And now those columns are collected as Dear Dolly on Love, Life and Friendship. Dolly Alderton. Hello. Hi. Hello. Nice to see you. Uh, Lovely to see you. So presumably this column came about because of the success of your book, Everything I Know About Love. Um, that's very kind of you to say. I'm sure it did. It also came off the back of the fact that I didn't want to come up with an idea for a column every week. <laughs> and the best thing about uh, an agony aunt or an agony uncle column is that you don't have to sit there scratching your head reading the news, working out what your opinion is on anything. Someone gives you their problem and then you very bossily tell them what to do. And isn't it weird? Like, it seems so old school and yet... The people love advice columns. What, I know. what is it? What is it about? What do you think is the, the the draw to why people send in the letters and also why people want to read them? I think there's something intimate about writing a letter to someone, even if you don't get a response back. There's something that feels like a personal relationship the minute that you've written something down and acknowledged that someone might have felt what you felt. Um, But I also think that it might be something about the tyranny of too much choice in this day and age of how difficult it is to know what to do and who to be and how to live your best life. I think there's something about the old fashionedness of a sort of matronly man or woman (laughs) telling you exactly how you can make your life easier. I definitely see the the appeal of it. Yeah, and also it's that weird thing. I think when you write a letter, I think really you've solved your problem. 100%. 100%. Have you ever written into an agony aunt or uncle? No, but I have written things down. Yeah. You know, because if you're struggling to make sense of something, it just, it makes it, you. I don't know, just writing. Have you written into anybody I ever? I did, I have. Oh, wow. I wrote into Nick Cave in 2020, who writes a newsletter called The Red Hand Files, where his fans write in and then he he's a sort of mystical philosopher agony uncle and he writes his response. And I knew when I wrote the question, which I'm not going to tell you because it is so embarrassing. <laughs> it was so Bunty magazine. It was like a little 14-year-old girl uh, with a question about matter, matters of the heart. And I knew when I wrote it that he wouldn't reply. But I remember, as I wrote it thinking oh I've sort of got my answer I already know I already know what he would say and I know what yeah. I would say to myself it quantifies it or something I yeah. don't know what it does but it it, it crystallises the thing in your head I don't know what it is yeah. and in your column I noticed you're very open about you know if you've got a personal thing mm. 
you share it. Mm. Is it was that your kind of was that going into it? Did you know that was going to be your style? Yes, I just knew that I took on this job when I was thirty-two, and I just knew that the only way that I could qualify myself for giving advice to anyone is by saying, "Here is a catalogue of my own mistakes. Here are the things that I do every day. Even though I'm giving you this advice, here's the way I betray my own advice every day. I know this is difficult because I just never wanted to be sort of." righteous or lectury or or put myself in any sort of position of authority in terms of making the right decisions all the time. It is odd that, isn't it, when you're writing a letter, uh, writing a reply to somebody, and you're thinking, oh, actually, I, I so should have done this. Oh, my God. The number of times, <laughs> Graham, where I'm, like, thinking about something sticky happening in my life, and I'm like, I wonder what Dolly Alderton would say in her column to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then sometimes you've read in, like, the, I, there's a letter in here from uh, people in their late 60s mm. trying to rekindle their sex life. Yes. You know, as a, <laughs> as a, an early, someone in their early 30s, do you just go, don't, please don't rekindle it? No, do you know what? I actually love those letters. I love the letters from the oldies. I think that there's, like, one thing that we can all be very certain of, which is we are all going to be old one day if we're lucky. Yeah. And we're probably all still going to have passions and fire in our loins. And we probably can't imagine it when we're thinking of people much older than us. But I just know that that's something that's certain. And I just think the emotional and passionate and sexual lives of pensioners should be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. So I actually, uh, I like giving airtime to those to those people and to those problems. And do you ever get a letter where you go, not a Scooby, I cannot help these people, uh, please give me a different letter? Yes. Uh, when they're very, very specific, sometimes I can't, you know, like strangely esoteric. But to be totally honest, and I'd love to know what your experience was like as an Agni uncle with this, the, letter, the questions where I feel like I'm sort of dragged into a moral maze and I really do not know what the answer is and I have to really think about every possible outcome and every person involved, those are the best letters, I think, rather than the letters where there's such a clear right or wrong. Yeah, but also if there's clear right or wrong, why are you writing to me? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like... Go sit in the pub with your friends <laughs> yeah. and rant anyone, about it. Anyone can solve this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're doing the column, so what do they do? Do they send you like a bunch of letters or do they just send you, yeah, you choose one or how does it work? Yeah, so they send me a big batch of letters about once a month and then I go through and pick four for the coming four weeks. The, the main problem I face is that most of the letters are a variation of the same problem, which <laughs> <laughs> which is normally, why doesn't he love me? That's sort of depressingly the, the thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and there are only so many ways that you can address that. So I'm always looking for things that offer up a new context or a specific detail. And then in terms of writing it, what I do is I actually sort of take it out into the real world. I talk to my friends, I talk to my family. If I'm doing work meetings that week, I'll often just present it to people and be like, what do you think about this? And then I kind of collate all those thoughts and all the various ways of looking at it and then write it in a couple of hours. Okay. And do you have you been changed? Have you been Dolly? Have you been changed <laughs> uh, by doing this for two years? Because it's two years of doing it. Do you at the end of this two years? Do you kind of think I do slightly live my life a little bit differently? Um, 
it, no is clearly it, the answer. <laughs> do you know what it, it has? I mean, it's definitely um, it's amped up the amount of uh, women sort of fueled on white wine in pubs and at weddings who come up to me and sort of talk to me about their divorce for a couple of hours, which frankly is perfect for me. Delicious. That is exactly the life I wanted. I've set up my life perfectly there. Um, I tell you what I think it's changed with me personally is it's definitely made me feel more relaxed when uh, bad things happen because I am just so aware now that bad things happening happens to everyone all the time and there is so rarely... I can't remember getting a problem and thinking, wow, like, I've never heard this before. This is... You're completely on your own. Every problem I get in some way is a communal shared problem. So that's kind of reassuring, I think. But don't, don't you get those letters where just so much has gone wrong in someone's life, you know? Yeah. And you just think, how how is this person getting up in the morning with all just a litany of things some people just have horrible luck don't they totally and sometimes you get those letters where they're about a thousand words long and you get to the first paragraph and you're like god this is awful and then you look at all the rest of the text <laughs> and you're like I think this is chapter one <laughs> <laughs> but also sometimes you get that thing where they go, uh, this happened, this awful thing happened, this awful thing, blah, blah, blah. and then they go, but my problem is this. And you're like, no, oh, no, no, your problem is the whole thing. I know. <laughs> sometimes you have to do a lot of, right, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> and in this session, we can address one of these issues. <laughs> and is it going to affect your fiction, do you think? Because you, your Ghost was your debut novel, and that was a big hit. So are you, presumably you're doing more. Yes, I'm writing one at the moment, yeah. And is And do you think that you your approach to characters and things that are happening has it all been affected by this Do you know I've never thought of it but now that you've said that it definitely has because you're always looking for kind of specific details for characters lives and when you're reading these sort of potted biographies of people from all around the country with all different backgrounds you do absorb these these small things about you know someone's character or their relationship and yeah, now that you say it, definitely. Did you find that it helped with your fiction? Uh, I think a little bit. Yeah. I think a little bit. It certainly made me more empathetic. I think. Yes. Uh, writing about characters, I was less. I'm less quick to less quick to judge characters when I'm writing now. I think because of, because of this. How long do you think you're going to do it before uh, you can you'll stop caring? <laughs> Before I reach my empathy ceiling. <laughs> yeah, we got like, do what you like. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, the only thing that I can see myself running out of steam with is is just the scrabbling around for the new problems. I, I can't stress this enough. Every week it is the same issues. And I sort of wish everyone could see the letters that I get in the inbox because it would really make them realise how united we are in our own kind of unique tragedies. Yeah. But I do... Was that something that you found? Like every week, it was just the same sort of thing. I mean, thing? is that like, why can't I meet someone? Why yeah. am I? Why am I single? If you are single, it's why am I single? It's, and then yeah. if you're not single, it's like, how can I fix this terrible relationship? It's <laughs> so <laughs> that is so true, and it's also like that Nora Ephron quote when she says like, every woman is desperate to be married. I have found until the day after their wedding when they are then desperate to be single. And you've literally just like captured, that is what the agony on spectrum is. <laughs> there's, there's no happy in between. And isn't that good? It's great. Well, it's good for uh, agony on. Keeps us in business. It does. <laughs> uh, dear Dolly on Love, Life and Friendship. It's out in Harbag this Thursday. Uh, Dolly Alderton, thank you so much for coming into the tower and uh, continue to discuss. When's the novel going to be happening? When, when will that be in the world? Uh, next year. 
20, oh, 2020. 2023. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I absolutely love this show. Thank oh, you. bless you. Thank you very much. Guess. The, uh, uh, the um, guest. Guest. Oh, yeah. And the voice we're trying to identify is this one. Uh, no, she was a fan of no one's but Madonna's. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's only a fan of hers. Yeah. <laughs> Still today. Still today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if somebody uh, correctly identifies it, they're going to win a Graham Norton Retro's gift box. That's with the reusable cup, champagne, truffles, fontines, shortbread, jam, vinegar, all sorts. Uh, right, let's go to the phones. First up is Carl, I think. Hello, Carl. Hi, Graham. It's Carl. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Carl. Uh, where I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. And where are you? I'm in Hackney. Oh, sure, you could be shouting out the window, we'd hear you. Okay, grand. <laughs> and uh, what are you doing on this very, very wet Sunday? Well, I just picked up a beautiful piece of antique furniture from the street, so I'm really happy with myself, so I'm just going to chill out for the day and figure well, out what to do with this. <laughs> Carl is winning. When you say antique piece of furniture, what is it, a chair, a table? No, it was actually a chest of drawers. Uh, an entire chest of drawers? Yeah, yeah, so my chiropractor won't like me tomorrow. <laughs> no, but, like, uh, I mean... Did somebody nick it from a house and it was a bit heavy? They left it in the street? Why was it in the street? No, I went for a drink with a friend of mine. We saw it on the street last night. We thought it was really beautiful. So my friend suggested if we take two drawers from it, that nobody will take it. So then I just got a zip van this morning and we collected it. And we have it and it's beautiful. Well, well done you, Carl. I like, I like even after drinks, you were able to figure out if we, <laughs> if we take the drawers now. Uh, yeah, well done, well done. Thank well, let's you. see, well, let's see if we can add to your uh, haul for this Sunday and uh, give you a Waitrose gift box. Uh, who do you think Thank that you. voice belongs to? Is it Eric McCormack from Will and Grace? Very good guess. Very good guess, Carl. Let's see if you're right. Ooh, the tension is building. It's on Oh, no! Oh, Carl, you're no. wrong. You're wrong. No, it's not. <laughs> I think Carl is genuinely surprised. What? I'm oh. wrong, but I'm the man who brought a chest of drawers home. <laughs> I win it, life. No, I'm afraid you got the chest of drawers, but no gift box. <laughs> Thanks for playing, Carl. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, next up, I think we've got uh, Helen. Is it Helen? Hi. Hi, Graham. Hello, Helen. Where are you? I'm at Carrick Fergus, Northern Ireland. Oh, now, people from Northern Ireland have had great luck with Guess the Guest. They've done well in this competition. Uh, what's it like in Carrick Fergus today? Uh, is it is it as horrible as it is here? Yeah, yeah it's lashing down here today. Uh, no. So are, have you got anything planned? Or are you just kind of, you know, in wrapped in a duvet? Uh, well, we took a dog for a walk this morning. Um, my daughter is at a... My husband's going sailing. My son's still in bed. And I'm just making some soup, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I like, I, like, I like that your husband's gone sailing. It's like, yeah, uh, I don't care. I'll just go sailing. It'll be horrible, but I'm going sailing. Uh, very, very active family. Well done. You're well apart from the sun in bed. Okay, Helen, let's see if we can send a Waitrose gift box to Carrick Fergus. Who do you think that voice belongs to? I think it belongs to RuPaul. RuPaul Charles. Is it RuPaul Charles? Let's find out. Oh, this is exciting. Very tense. It is! Oh, Helen and Carrick Fergus, congratulations to you. You win the Graham Norton Poitros gift box. It'll be winging its way to you. Uh, anyone you'd like to name check? Do you want to name your children and your husband on the radio? Um, yeah, my daughter Louise, my son Alex. 
my uh, my husband Tim and everyone who knows me uh, round about. Oh, very good. You can uh, wake your son and listen on the app. You can listen back and you can, <laughs> you, can, you can hear a shout out then. All right, enjoy the gift box. Take care of yourself, Helen. All right. All the best. Bye. Thanks for playing. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you're missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.